Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip, and we're glad you came along for the ride. from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about... Oh, Mr. Dave! Mr. Dave! Hey Arnold, what can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational. To join us each week for some fun. Sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn, some snacks, and get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be whirring and your brain cells will be stirring. It's the show you want to say. It's fun time with Mr. Dave. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time! Thank you for listening to Tabletop Journeys. Today's episode does deal with some adult themes. As a result, some of the content may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome everybody to today's side quest. We are uh, really excited to be talking about a new show that Wizards of the Coast has been putting out uh, in an attempt to go ahead and uh, bring new people into Dungeons and Dragons as a hobby. We're going to be talking about the puppet show Stuff of Legends, uh, which has been featured on uh, YouTube. You can you can download it and watch it. Episodes are about 30 minutes apiece. And later in this episode, we're going to bring back uh, an old friend to talk about uh, some of the puppetry aspects. Uh, but first, let's talk about uh, the show itself. Uh, Lee Wanika, why don't you go ahead and start Overall, I thought it was a pretty decent de- depiction of a lighthearted and fun D&D game. I think we've all played in those games where you just want to kick back, roll some dice, have some fun, crack some jokes. I know years ago we used to do it when a bunch of us lived in one house, basically consider it like a frat house kind of environment where we would just randomly pick up some tabletop game and have fun. It wasn't too involved. It wasn't some big end of the world serious campaign. It was just a fun game. And a lot of it came down to how many jokes you could crack, literally and figuratively. (laughs) You know, there was a fair amount of uh, consumption (laughs) of of beverage, a fair amount of tomfoolery in general. It was just something we did while we were hanging out. It, It was partly focus of the reason we were together, but largely it was we were together, so we might as well do something like this while we're together. Yep, absolutely. I felt very much the same way. Glenn, what about you? What were your take on the first few episodes of Stuff of Legends? I'm going to launch right in, because I'm going to be honest. The first time I watched it, I didn't realize that what I was watching was what Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons & Dragons as a brand had approved and put out. Um, But once I realized that, I mean, originally when I was looking at it, I was saying, okay, some guys you know, semi-professional YouTube show out there setting something up to have fun, kind of like a live play thing that they're doing as a special. It was fun. Got a little bit on the uh, uh, the inappropriate side, but, you know, a good time for some people who just put something together. But when I realized it was from Wizards of the Coast, I got to say, I'm going to be honest, I'm offended that they put this out to represent the hobby that I've played for all of these years. And I don't mean that to be... Yeah, I do. I mean, it's a family hobby. And 
Some inappropriate humor is okay, but the level that we go to and go to very quickly in this, in terms of something that I want my kids to play, I just don't think, I don't think it was okay. I don't think that as a representation of the brand, the choice of where they allowed the the gameplay to go was acceptable. I definitely hear that uh, because I, that's one thing that I want, definitely think we're going to be discussing uh, in the scope of this episode is how some of the humor uh, was definitely, I mean, I don't think off color really scratched the surface on, on how adult some of the humor uh, was in these episodes. And I hear you that I'm surprised that Wizards of the Coast signed off on it as an accurate representation of their game and their brand and, and everything like that. It, it does seem contrary to a lot of other decisions that Wizards of the Coast has made. Now, that being said, I am also on Lee's side here where I've played in this game and I have played at tables that are this silly and this off the rails and this off color or worse uh and so i i i guess i'm kind of split in the middle between you like i absolutely hear where you're coming from glenn is that you're you're right i i don't necessarily like that this is what they're putting out there and saying this is what the game is like but i also kind of think that this is what the game can be like in a lot of different situations you're 100% right. And I agree. I've played in games that have been insanely silly, insanely inappropriate, and totally off the rails and had an amazing time with them. My problem, and this isn't just coming as a player, it's coming as a parent. It's coming as a DM who has minors in his game. Right now, I'm running a game with a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old. And as a content creator, Glenn. And as a content creator, yes. I- I'm looking at it from from the perspective of what's okay for branding. And I can't believe that Wizards of the Coast branded this you know and it's, it's not that it's not fun and i don't have specifically have a huge problem with any of the content in it it's the fact that it was put out as a representation of D for some other parent who's thinking about letting their 12 year old try out the hobby that i've been playing for 30 years that i'd love to see continue to grow and be popular and they're gonna see it and be like wait that's what this is about you know my kid's gonna be playing like half porn yeah I mean, not no. That, that's a little bit strong, but it's not with some of the stuff that that went on. It's not that far. I mean, one of the characters' name is Ariola. It's not. It's not as straight. It's not as far away as you wanted it to be. I actually had to rewind because I wasn't sure I heard it right. Right. I actually thought, okay, I must be imposing some bad thought in the back of my head onto what I just heard. Like it can't. They, they could not have honestly said that. Yep. Well, and the rogue straight up calls himself Slippy Dick. I want to say that, Josh, when you first kicked it to me and said, hey, what's your overall thoughts? I did give my overall thoughts on it as itself. And I left a lot of what Glenn was talking about out of that that piece, because in my show notes, which I promise you, if I didn't know differently, Glenn, I'd swear you read my show notes. I, I, I was kind of thinking, let's hold the controversy to the end. But maybe we do think something a little bit differently. Maybe we talk about the controversy in the front end. So then we can talk about the things that were kind of cool and good later on and then get on with our guest. Because, folks, we (laughs) have rails and we don't always stay on them either. Uh, (laughs) This this is a product of of a loosely edited program. I hope you all understand and continue to love us. We honestly feel you do so far. So, uh, hoopla. What Mm. I thought about that was Klingon for victory for anybody who doesn't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's side quest. I can speak Klingon. <laughs> I really was surprised that they went this way because there are so many decisions like Josh said that they made that we're not going to do this. You know, they just threw out any argument they have against doing dark sun. If you can do this, you have no excuse to not give oh, me a dark sun yeah. campaign. I mean, n- not just dark sun. Yeah. I was with them. When they when there was the leaning away from that because of some of the themes, because they're trying to keep this family friendly. They're trying to keep what family friendly should mean, you know, and, and I agree. Family friendly is generally perceived to be age groups six to eight ish to adulthood and entertainment that's entertaining for everybody within that group. This show excludes pretty much anybody, in my opinion, under the age of a mature 15. And even in that range, 15 or 16, I, as a parent, wouldn't feel comfortable with some of the humor 
that was you. I mean, it's well, hold it, on and, here. and I'll be honest with you. It's not to say kids don't see it. Yeah. It's just to say, as a parent, I'm not sitting next to my kids when they see it. And I think that's really the key. I hear what you're saying. Let's not be puritanical about this and say that the first time that we'll let our dear cherubs hear a dick joke is 16. Okay. I mean, that's not, that's not. <laughs> I yeah, don't heck, think, that, I, heck I, no. That's I, not the issue. I can't follow you down that path. I mean, I know when my darling cherub first heard a dick joke and it certainly was not 16. I can follow you to a point. See, we don't even have to split hairs about this from the perspective of what other parents out there would do with their kids, because that's not the point. The The point we're talking about is why would Wizards of the Coast choose this to represent to those families? And that's that's the better thing about what's wrong with it. My problem with it is that they could have made it incredibly fun, just as funny, and kept it clean without having to have a character whose main form of attack, because he has poisonous skin, is to get naked throw himself on people and do things like sit on their faces. At that point, it's no longer appropriate for for, for everybody. That's not D&D anymore now. That I mean, that's actual assault. So when I first heard about Stuff of Legends, I, I heard about it when people on Twitter, when it first came out and people on Twitter, on feeds that I monitor, were like, I can't believe that they are featuring... And headlining a character whose primary form of attack is is assaulting other people by getting naked and rubbing himself right. on them. Yeah. And not not uh, attack, but literally sexual right. assault is his main right. form of attack. And to be clear, I'm gonna go back to the player's handbook here just for a brief moment an interlude, and then I'll wanna let you get back to your point your point, Josh. I apologize for interrupting, but if you look at that actual character type that monster type, and you're talking about it, they do have that form of attack that's in the game. I believe it's mentioned that they wear very little or light clothing. There's nothing that says they have to be naked. It just says their skin. Everything that was done to have poison seep into the body could have been, I barehanded grabbed him, or I don't, I'm, I don't wear a shirt, so I hug him. Uh, it could have been, I give him my grapple attack, and rub my face on it uh, uh, on him or whatever it's like he has exposed skin i have exposed skin and they really don't even need to mention it other than to say the character has a poisonous attack uh from skin contact leave it at that there was uh, to glenn's point most of it could have been left out and it could have still been the same character and still have the same dice rolling activities it just didn't need to be graphically depicted in the way that it was. And the actor was funny in the comedic style that he was doing. I mean, there was nothing wrong with his performance. I just can't believe it was allowed to represent D&D. Oh, see, I disagree. See, I think that the player making the choice to go ahead and do that was, it seemed intentional to be edgy and to be controversial. And I thought that the player... Uh, so not only did Wizards make a make a mistake by letting that happen, the player made a miscalculation about whether or not that would be okay. Okay, that's probably uh, true too. <laughs> so I mean that that's kind of where where does that fine line sit, right? Where where does where is the fine line between that player doing something that he thinks is funny, but other people are now saying, wow. Are you now uh, advocating for sexual assault? Like, where is that? Where is that fine line? Like, at what point? And Finding those hard lines is part of the responsibility at the we, table every time we sit down. But these, yeah. this was crazy. I mean, we've we've talked about this before, Liwanika, about how previous uh, when we talked about LARPing and some of the subject matter that we broached when we were running live action role playing games and that we would do it in such a way that we would intentionally push people and say this game is going to cover stuff that you are not going to get in any other game and you know the the running joke was always you know therapy bills aren't included in the entrance fee right it was like it and we were almost like we were poking people and saying, hey, this is, you know, you're going to have to go ahead and deal with the extremity of what we're going to be giving you, and it's your problem to deal with. And I think that the player is doing the same thing. Yeah, so let me tell you where that line is, and I don't think it's that fine. The line is, as bad as we were 25 some odd years ago doing that, Josh, 
we still told them before the before the episode aired. Yeah, no, that's fair too. Yep. We were in the episode before we found out what we were watching. Yep. So yep. that's a true story. Wherever that line what wherever that line is, yep. it certainly was well before we yep. saw what we saw. And I wonder and, and, if Sorry, not to interrupt you, but I wonder if that's the reason why, if you noticed at the beginning of episode two, there was a disclaimer at the beginning of the video, then there wasn't one at the beginning of episode one. And I wonder if that was Wizards of the Coast not really thinking, not really realizing what it was that they had on their hands when this private YouTube channel, because it's not on the Wizards YouTube channel, it's on Jovenshire's YouTube channel. And I wonder if Wizards of the Coast looked at episode one and said, what did we just do? What did we do? Yeah, right. so I don't know. I hope they did, and and because they should have. Yeah, uh, I I think an inter- you make an interesting point because I watched this show much later than the two of you and many of our audience, right? So I watched stuff of Legends last night, and I can tell you that I recall that the disclaimer was on episode one now. So I don't know if it was when you saw it, but it may actually be there on episode one. Interesting. Now. Okay. Folks out there, fact check us. Let us know. Please comment in the descriptions and, and in the comments below because I'd be interested to know if that disclaimer is there now. Um, look, I think we could get into a great deal of depth on the controversial nature of this kind of thing. I could go into every single joke. Uh, there was stuff that yeah, I we don't need was, to beat the dead horse. Yeah, I think there's stuff that was funny but not appropriate for all audiences. Yep. I would have expected a show that's billed as let me teach new players how to play D&D in a fun and engaging way would not have had as much of this as necessary. I think it took them away from their stated mission. While at the same time, I stand by my initial statement. I think it was a reasonable, decent depiction of a lighthearted game. I just don't think it did the job of being a good entry point. And I think that's what they were claiming to be. If you could remove the parts that were, you know glaringly inappropriate yes it would have been not a bad example of lighthearted. with that said and i think we're all on the same page we have different elements of it maybe a different take on why it was inappropriate or why we thought it was questionable but in the end we all come to the same conclusion it was questionable at best yeah yeah and we put all that out there yeah so let's talk about some of the uh, the characters let's go into what our thoughts on some of the characters were you know uh who's your favorite character glenn Hatchet Hand. Hatchet Hand <laughs> I'm is so, right. just going to say the same thing. Hatchet Hand I, I, I is like an amazing Hatchet Hand. Character. Hatchet Hand is a lot yeah. of fun. I played somebody with a weapon hand like that once, but I did it with a short sword blade. The hatchet's yeah. cooler. Way better way to go. And I mean, Hatchet Hand, it just sounds cool too. It's a win-win all the way around. And his, he's the way the guy plays him, he's hysterical. I thought he was brilliant. I thought it was a good-looking puppet. I thought it matched what I was expecting from the role play that I saw. And I thought his backstory and the way he brought it in and the conversations were brilliant. Like, oh, my friend was doing whatever in the water. And again, slightly off color, but I thought that was an appropriately off color (laughs) comment. You know, you should have seen the other guy kind of thing. And I didn't do that bit justice because I don't want to take away from the show. And some off color is okay. You just got to keep in mind the rating system. Um, You know, but I thought it was great. I thought it was wonderful to have a dwarf who who followed the tropes without feeling tropey. Yeah. Like it. I didn't realize this was a dwarf right (laughs) away. But then I was like, but it is so like I was watching this thinking it was a human going, wow, this guy is dwarfish. And then I realized, oh, he was playing a dwarf all along. I'm like, well done. (laughs) Uh, I don't think the puppet captured that issue. I don't think the puppets are good in ratio, per se. But I thought that it captured the flavor and feel of the character. And well. let's be honest, a dwarf swashbuckler is an awesome character. I mean, that's that's oh, yeah. just a brilliant. It's a brilliant play on the trope because when you think swashbuckler, you don't think dwarf. You think no, half elf or elf or human, or you think something lithe and fast and quick. You, you don't <laughs> even <think> tiefling. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it was just what really well done. Um, I actually also want to call out uh, the mage. Yep. And I, again, something that I noticed with the puppets is that I couldn't tell whether this was supposed to be an elf or a human. And I don't think they got into it very well, but I thought the mage was a, a great character. I liked it. I enjoyed the naive youngish mage, but I want to give a shout out to one of the players in my game because I honestly think she does the naive young mage bit better. And, and <laughs> I just think she does. So uh, 
uh, shout out to Tristana and my Sentinels of the, of, the, of the North campaign. Yeah, she's brilliant. She does a great job. And interestingly enough, one of the same types of things that we saw out of this character is what we saw in, uh, in my game, which is very early on, took a huge hit, realized, mm-hmm. wow, as a mage, I don't want to get into a fight anymore, right? And then played on that. And I thought that was brilliant. I just think ours did it better. Personal feelings, I do like what I saw. I, I was going to say, I really like the mechanic of the bag of miscellaneous scrolls. Like, that's a really that's a really that funny, funny mechanic about how she just has, like, this bag of scrolls. I mean, like, with the subtle sort of undertow being that she's, like, fled the academy with this bag of scrolls and, like, doesn't know what they are because she stole them, right? Like, that's the under, that's, like, that's the, that's the running joke that they never say, right? Is that is yeah. that she stole those? Yeah. Oh no, but it's definitely got that vibe. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely got that vibe. Um, and so every time she wants to use one, she rolls a d twenty and randomly pulls one out of her bag, not knowing what it's going to be. Like when she pulled out the stinking cloud scroll against the goblins, hysterical, flat oh, yeah. out, oh, yeah. hysterical. It, 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 and you know, I think I'll highlight this point here. I love a little thing that they do in post on the show, which is. After it was an any mechanic was initially explained long form at the table between the actors, uh, they then bring it up again when it comes up in a little show card or placard in the corner of the screen. So it's ever present for all the things they did to take away from that mission of being an entry point. That was a very cool and excellent way to be on mission. I liked that. It actually made me sit up and pay more attention uh, I was watching on my TV from a little far away. I don't, that was a little smaller than I wanted. So I paused, switched to my computer so I could be closer, so I could read what was saying and make sure they were fairly accurate, which they were. You know, I enjoyed that and I liked the conceits that they made. We've changed a few of the basic mechanics for better role play, for better story, i.e. they homebrewed to make their right. story flow uh, and what they were trying to get accomplished, accomplished. And I loved it. And you're right. The backpack and the scrolls, I'm probably going to steal that at some point. There's going to be probably a character steal that is absolutely, going to have absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And if you're yeah. listening to this podcast and you run games, steal that. That's good stuff. You know, use that. And take that undertone and just work work it into the backstory. Make it somebody who fled with stuff. They don't even know. They've got something in there that's wicked powerful. And they don't even know what's in there. And they're going to pull out a spell at some point that does something more than they wanted. Now, I also thought the Dragonborn character being played by someone who had never played D&D before, I thought that that was a great out-of-game idea for running this type of show. Because what it's showing is somebody, again, somebody who's brand new to the game, just learning how to do their character. And you get to not only observe them playing the game, but them learning the game. And that's always sort of, that's that's kind of the biggest hurdle uh, with people that have never done any sort of role playing before, is they don't really even know how to do it, and so they did that right. They took her who had never played before, put her at a table with an experienced dungeon master and a couple of experienced players, and then said, "Here's your character. This is what they can do. How do you want to roll through this?" Um, now, whether or not playing a dragonborn barbarian was the right choice of character you know, I think you can go either way with that. But it's a character that she identified with. It's a character that she felt. It's a character that she had voice for, which I thought was fabulous. Right. could tell she was having a good time. She was having a great time. And I think, I think, man, I just wish that they had, they had just focused more on that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yep. A little I more focused on uh, that than the one-liners. Um, not that a game oh, one-liners can yeah. be fun and cool too, but, but yeah, balance it but, out. But balance that, ha, you know, a little more on, on that. I thought the way the DM, uh, called for skills was neat and very intriguing, yep. uh, very instructive to newer GMs uh, and storytellers as far as this is a good situation to call that and hit some of the questions he asked were perfect. Like, how would you do that? Oh, I think I'll do this and this. Okay. I can see that, that I'll call for this kind of role. You know, I thought those interactions were exceptionally well done and well depicted. You know, uh, I think it was uh, really good. Now, if you're a very experienced storyteller and you've been doing it for 
nigh on to 30 years or so. Not as many skills come out of the GM side of this show that you would see other than how do you run for somebody who has not the experience that you have? It is fairly easy, not that any storytelling endeavor is easy, but it is easier to run for a group of well-established role players than it is to run for brand new ones, especially if you have a lot. Uh, He did something that I like to try to do, which is one, maybe two new players, one, maybe two green on the newer end of things, but I always like to have at least one established, well-experienced player at the table in those circumstances. In a key role. Because in, in a key role. And I think he did a great job in putting that together because the, 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 the actor playing the, 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 I keep saying Elvin Mage again, I don't know. Uh, but the actor playing the mage, uh, did, a did, uh, had mentioned she had played once or twice before, but she hadn't really done anything long-term. So she had an idea of what was going on. And you had two people who clearly have played and been playing for a while. And then you had somebody who was brand new. Uh, while the numbers are in that case four, I tend to roll six to eight. So my numbers would expand within that framework. It is still pretty much that same framework. You know, brand new green, greenhorn, journeyman, expert. You got to spread that out. And I thought that was a great debate. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the one thing that we also saw uh, in the Dungeon Master role uh, in the show is uh, something that every player is going to see when they come up with some cockamamie idea that totally throws the Dungeon Master off. And he's just like, ah, okay, I guess we're going to do that now. Like he did that a couple times in the in the Prisoner's Carnival episode where they were just like, like we don't know, we're going to attack the demon. What do you mean you're going to attack the demon? Why would you do that? <laughs> what? Why would you do that? <laughs> He's the only one that's gotten the information. And the way that he rolled with that was, was excellent. It's like, okay, now the demon's brother is here. And he's talking to you. Like, don't attack yeah, me. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, you know, it was, that was... That was one of those moments that as a as a player that you love making your storyteller feel that way. And as a storyteller, you just desperately hope that none of your players are going to make you feel that way. Uh, but it was I thought that was, it was a brilliant take two. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was very well done. I wanted to call out and thank you for broaching the subject of the uh, uh, Prisoner's Carnival. I thought that was where the show finally got its legs. Like, I really enjoyed that episode. That was the that's where I started saying you know what, this is kind of interesting. It's got some good pieces. It's got some stuff that's troubling. But where I really said, huh, I want to know where this story is. I actually am pretty, am invested in finding out where this story goes. It is intriguing to me. I couldn't say that after episode one, uh, but by the end of the the Prisoner's Carnival, I was definitely, where is this going? You know, I just like that. And I love the concept of the Prisoner's Carnival. Like, that was intriguing. That was a don't split the party kind of moment. And they up and did it in their uh, uh, in their second session at the table. <laughs> they and, always and, do. Those pesky players always split oh, they the did. party. Yep. And, and, you know, you talk about, uh, about lifting things from this show. Prisoner's Carnival is a pretty great plot point also. Like, that's a pretty great set piece to introduce to your characters. Yes. Yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of meat on that bone, you know, for the Prisoner's Carnival. And in fact, I was thinking after watching that episode uh, where I can use that. And I'm very excited because my players, I think, are going to get their next game. So Nice. Yeah, yeah there's definitely some stuff there. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about the characters. We've talked about our challenges before that. To flesh out my overall feelings on this, uh, I think there are some challenges, but it's not unrecoverable. They could simply drop those challenging aspects here forward. I don't know how far ahead they record. I'm guessing much further uh, ahead than we record. I, I'm guessing the fact that all of them are wearing the same outfits, that they were probably every episode was recorded in one day. I, that would be my guess. Um, if they get a, a, an option on a season two, which may or may not be warranted as we watch more, I would say if they drop some of those challenging aspects, this could be worthwhile. This could be fun. Oh, I'd love to see more of it. I really think that that's my, my biggest takeaway is that if they decide to hit the reset button or 
at least the uh, the pare down button and continue. The puppetry was great. The production quality was awesome. The way they linked the story together between the table and then the cutscenes. I mean, it was it was entertaining as as hell. It was a great time. I had some challenges with the puppets, and I'm I'm going to save those for some of my questions for our guests. Think I'm letting the audience know ahead of time. My questions are going to focus in on. Uh, when you're making a puppet and you're trying to drag out a character or bring out a certain element, uh, what are the things you key on? Because I do think a couple of the puppets didn't show me enough for me to know what I was looking at. And and that was really, it was a bit of a challenge. Uh, the Dragonborn didn't look anything reptilian. There, I'm not saying that a Dragonborn has to look exactly as depicted in the player's handbook but I didn't get the idea that is driving. I knew it because of the way it was played and the fact it was described, but I didn't get that feel looking at the character The the mage, right. I couldn't tell human or right. We are, but you can do puppets that look like they have scales. You sure. could have used a different kind of color to depict the fact that it was reptilian. There was, there was ways to do that slightly differently. And I, and I, 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 I am not a puppeteer, but I know several. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk with one of them and, and i uh and, and, and i do think that there were better ways to to possibly bring out that element of the character and again with the mage human elven i don't know it would have been nice to know that lineage all right everybody we would like to bring in our very special guest to today's episode we are gonna we'd like to introduce you again to friend of tabletop journeys mr dave mr dave give yourself a little bit of introduction Hey, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Mr. Dave, uh, I am a children's performer and a puppeteer. I am a member of Puppeteers of America. I am also a member of the Western Massachusetts Puppetry Guild, and I am their official YouTube curator. I've been doing puppet stuff my whole life. I've been doing professional puppet work since March of 2020, thanks to the pandemic and the need for online programming for children. And uh, it uh, has grown into quite the little thing. I'm, uh, I, I, it's a passion of mine that I really enjoy doing. So I'm really jazzed to be here and talking puppets with you guys. Dave, I've watched your show. And then obviously we're talking about stuff of legends here today. Yes. Totally different in terms of the way that the two are produced. I mean, in your show, you're, oh, I'm not even talking about content. I'm just talking yeah. about, you know, mm-hmm. you're interacting as the host with your puppets versus... Uh, specifically like the actor puppet scenario that they had have going on stuff of legends. Mm-hmm. How different is it to, to try to shoot in one style versus the other? And is one or the other complex? Well, that's a really good question. This is actually something that I have been mulling over with uh, several of my peers recently in the puppet world. Um, it's the, well, we'll just use my show and their show as an example. Um, with my show, because everything has to be on kind of a human scale, where I need to be able to have the puppets re- reacting with me, um, the way that's done traditionally with big budget uh, things, the humans can be on those raised stages, and then the puppet, uh, the puppeteers can be down below that main floor, and then be at, you know, the correct level, the correct perspective for them. Here, you know. I, I do a lot of my own because I do most of the puppet work myself. I do cutting back and forth where I'm really on, on my knees most of the time. Sometimes I'm sitting down on my back and any puppeteer who's done anything can relate to that. Yeah, like, oh yeah, that we, we've all done the, the, the floor thing. It's, it's just, it's part of being a puppeteer. Whereas actually in, I think it was episode three, they actually did a joke about their green screen and it was, uh, oh, what was the bad, it was a jelly, it was a, one of the jelly bad guys. Uh, it was normally supposed to be green, but it was red because they work in front of a green screen and they actually cut to the green screen shot and you could see all the puppeteers and they have um, what's traditionally used for puppet only stuff, which is all raised and the platforms and the set pieces are all on these posts and they all have their hands over and they've got their headset mics on. It's uh, mechanically very similar because the it's all close-up puppet work. Close-up puppet work is so different than live puppet work because it's like the difference between theater, like theater and film. A theater actor, an actor on a stage, all everything has to be really big and it has to telegraph and facial expression 
is the last thing. The facial expression for a stage actor is more to kind of keep the body in check so the bigger theatrical motions can, you know, just kind of make sense. Whereas film acting, it's very here, mostly. It's very, very tight. And the face is everything. With um, live puppet work, it's all about those big telegraphing movements and the set pieces and um, how well the, the, the choreography flows with your other puppets and your other puppeteers. Whereas with film, YouTube specific, uh, like, well, YouTube, television, whatever you want to call it, it is all about that close-up, that face and emoting with the puppet's face, which is really, it's a different, it's just a different beast. And it's not any easier. It's just a different kind of hard I was wondering, uh, when you're looking at this show and kind of how it came together and the puppets that they have, uh, with your knowledge of D&D and tabletop games in general, what were your thoughts about the actual puppetry or puppet design for each of the characters and how that came out? And would you have done anything differently? Like, how would you have wanted those characters visualized? I think when I first heard about the the idea of a D&D puppet show my first my I immediately thought that they were going to go with more of a a serious thing I didn't know who they had involved at first I didn't realize it was mostly you know comedians which is nothing wrong with that but um I thought they were going to go for a more serious thing so I figured they might go with more of the whole less plush more of the silicone dipped foam-based puppets as opposed to the um the, the, the cloth puppets, the softer looking puppets. Um, and I'm glad they didn't go that way. I'm glad they chose to go with more of a humorous thing. Cause I think it, I think it's, it's in one way it's easier to swallow because you go with serious puppets and you start looking at those and you think, Oh, well, okay, this is like going to be dark crystal, or this is going to be uh, a, a, a labyrinth or, you know, those really dark, serious epic films that were done with the super hyper-realistic, um, puppets that would have been really hard to do and even more cost prohibitive than what they are doing though these guys are definitely decent budget for sure i think going with the the, the the softer cuter thing was a good choice that being said initially i think i had the same gut reaction that everyone else did because as much into the puppetry world as i am i still look at puppets and immediately think haha friendly happy Muppets and kids shows and things like that. And then, you know, they start right away with, you know, innuendo based names and, you know, the sexual jokes and things like that. And, and you, know, you know, stuff you hear in a regular D&D session, but with these cute fluffy puppets. And I had that initial gut reaction of discomfort, but I got over it pretty quickly. And I sat back and I really started to enjoy what they were doing with it. I think they could have done this show without the puppets and it wouldn't have been as good. The puppets are what suck people and it's what got me watching it. So before I ask my question here, I just want to underscore that you have not heard what we recorded about this episode previously and the fact that your answer is very much in line with a lot of the things that we said uh, in that episode uh, is purely coincidental. And so that's actually really nice to hear. I want you to put your finger on the pulse of the puppetry world for us. Cause I feel like we uh, sort of heard a lot uh, about the show from the tabletop role-playing world. How has the puppetry world responded to this show? And what do they think about, uh, about the show, either from a quality or a content point of view? Uh, well, we all agree. I mean, I haven't spoken with any of my uh, peers who don't agree that this is a well put together puppet production. Um, and like I said, Deluxe Puppets, and by the way, I have no affiliation with Deluxe Puppets whatsoever. I'm not even sure if I'm saying their name right. I'm just impressed with their work. They are top notch. They really are some of the best in the business. Yeah, I've, I've never, I've, I haven't spoken with any puppeteers who don't think that it's a good, well put together production. It's a really good balance of practical props and CGI with the green screen in the background. And like I said, the lip sync is brilliant. These guys are so good. It's very impressive. And even their cheaper puppets, the ones they made to cut down costs, like their little de the fire demons and stuff like that, who are obviously just you know rod puppets made of sculpted foam. Those are some of the cheapest puppets you can make. They're really well executed. So there's definite like love and care. 
and my research that I've done into it that um, Joshua Ovenshire or Jovenshire, the uh, the YouTuber who does this, um, actually had a lot of input into the creation of these puppets as well. And I guess his first thought was, well, flipping through the books and like, what will look cool as a puppet, um, which I can appreciate. That's a really good way to do it. But yeah, we all agree that uh, from a production standpoint, it's brilliant. As for content, there is a very large amount of crossover in the D&D world and the puppet world. There are just, you know, those, those two geekery things just kind of, they go really well together. <laughs> Puppetry is an art form and it's across the board for opinions, just like any art form somebody's getting upset and somebody's really you know rocking it and and cheering it on and then there are the people who are like can see it both ways but yeah quality wise it's great content wise it's a toss of the coin it depends on who you're talking to i for one am enjoying it all right so the other question that i had for you dave kind of just goes into the fun factor of what i think puppets could be because we've talked a lot about how you know a lot of times people think kids the cushy, the, the, the nice feelings, and it's all going to be very downplayed and non-graphic or serious. But I think puppets can be great fun from an adult content perspective and just storytelling in general, as long as that's clear up front. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you got to do that. So as a puppeteer and a storyteller, if you could see one story, movie, or TV show get a puppet reboot, what uh, would it be? Oh, that is a really, really good question. Yeah, Glenn's bringing the heavywood this game. Yeah. Okay, like it. Whew. There's so many good options, though. Like, it's so hard to narrow it down. A puppet remake. I guess it depends on, are we talking, you know, any style? Just like, you know, whatever. Just span the gambit of puppetry. Or no, are we talking anything. about that specific kind of, like, cutesy no, no. general throw, puppet? Throw, throw the world in the crucible man whatever you want all right okay well then i want to say and uh, I, I would love to see uh game of thrones i think game of thrones would be amazing if it was done in that late 70s early 80s you know dark crystal style you know real hyper realistic puppetry i would be cool if they just took the soundtrack from it and then just did you know serious puppet work to it because practical effect puppet work can be so intense and so cool and it just gives and it could really it would allow uh, a really cool and different exploration of those characters because those characters are all over the board too yeah. but seeing them in puppet form allows you certain forgivenesses that because they're not humans because Actually, they are yeah. Yeah, and you so you're allowed to explore ideas and things in a different way, and even just using the same soundtrack, just watching the puppet and do, having the puppet do something slightly different. With a puppet, you know, turning the the, the tilt of a head can say a million things. Right. It all depends on the mood. It, the, the puppet isn't doing anything. The face doesn't actually change, but the tilt of the head. Just one little tilt can make it look inquisitive or can make it look sad or can make it look depressed. And it's those tiny little movements with up-close pu puppetry. And I think something like, or any any of the darker, or not darker, but any of the exciting fantasy type things could be really, really, really cool. Sweeping epic is the way I was going to. The one I envisioned when I came up with the question was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like that. I was just going to say the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Yes. yes. So I was going to go totally different, but first of all, I would absolutely watch uh, your Game of Thrones puppet cast. <laughs> so would um, I. That sounds amazing. Yeah. But you and I, I think we could serve as mutual ambassadors between the tabletop and puppetry communities, especially since that's how we first came in contact and met each other. Yes. Basically through a puppetry event where my tabletop stuff was brought into that realm. It's why we are amazingly blessed to have you as a friend of the show and have you back to the show because the three of us and you all see those similarities, those connections, uh, that confluence between that odd, amazing symmetry between the world of puppetry and tabletop gaming. We see that. We appreciate you coming back so we can actually share that with our audience at large and the world at large. Um, so I wanted to lead, lead with that. I'm not 100% sure that my question is going to be nearly as epic and great as <laughs> a conversation uh, starting and generating as blends, but I'm going to throw this out here. 
honestly, and this is something that probably nobody has realized because I might be saying this out loud for the very first time. This was the this show, Stuff of Legends, was the very first live play tabletop role-playing game broadcast I have ever watched. Because of that, I don't have a really solid framework to compare it to. So I, if I re- recall from our conversations, whether it was on the podcast or elsewhere, that you have watched uh, some live play uh, mm-hmm. sh- shows before. Can you compare for us your thoughts? Like, how does, how does the gameplay here compare to some of the other live play shows you've watched? And how do you feel the puppets accentuate the role play? I'm so very glad you asked that. I do indeed watch quite a bit of live play role-playing shows. Um, I will admit right up front, Critical Role is my main go-to. I also need to preface my answer with the fact that I am the guy since pretty much childhood who could sit down and watch four or five hour-long movies. I was the kid who, I was the guy who watched the, 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 the director's cut of Lord of the Rings when it first came out over at my buddy Jason's house and went, what, it's over already? (laughs) After sitting there for, you know, four hours, what is it, like four hours, something like that? I really enjoy listening to and watching and imagining along with these players. It is, I, I, I love to do it. And it's actually one of my favorite things to do while I'm puppet building, oddly enough. I, I throw on a show and I will go over and I'll start working on a puppet or I'll start working on repairs or something like that. It's one of my favorite things to do because, um, you know, the imaginative juices are flowing. How that differs from what the uh, Stuff of Legends is doing is, I mean, well, it's obviously Stuff of Legends, for anybody who's listening right now who has seen it, knows it's very chopped down. The the gameplay, he says it right on the episodes, how they're, you know, adapted rules for the show specifically to keep everything light and flowy for these inexperienced players um, and to keep it entertaining. And there's obviously a lot of cuts. If you pay attention, there's a lot of cuts where there's stuff happening. I've watched episode four today. It came out today as we're recording this now. And there was one part where uh, Lasercorn, he rolled his D20 and it went halfway across the table but then it cut immediately to him just looking down at a D20 right in front of him on his play. There was obviously a lot cut out between there. There's obviously a lot of explanation and probably less than necessary commentary that happens in D&D that has been edited out to keep everything within the time frame that they needed. So it feels fast. You have to go in knowing that this is not... You're not going in and watching a full game. You're going in and essentially watching the highlights with puppets. And I think the the puppets really help that because they kind of jumpstart the imagination. I mean, all four of you guys know there are players who have, you know, they're more about the numbers than the actual role playing. Um, there are the goobers like me who are, you know, doing all the voices and I'm, you know, acting out at the table. And then there are the people who are all about, here's the numbers, here's the play, my piece is there. And, and that's there. And everybody serves their purposes in these games. They, you, if you've got a good balance, you've got an epic game. So the puppets, I think, are a really great way to kind of introduce the, 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 the number crunchers to the world of, you know, what's inside the crazy brains of us imaginative actors the ones who are you know throwing things across the table and jumping up on our chairs it's uh, a great way to give a personification to yeah. the theater of the mind yeah 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 it's 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 absolutely fantastic and i mean and again i like i said earlier i think it's a great gimmick and i don't think gimmicks are bad i think gimmicks are good they're a great way to you know put your stamp on something and it's definitely introducing a lot of people not only to the world of D, which was their intent but also it's introducing a lot of people to the world of puppetry it's 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 really great going both ways but you can't go into it thinking i'm watching a DD game you need to go in thinking i am watching the highlights of a DD game with the puppets and the cool and you know the funny jokes that are left there and if as long as you keep that in your head it's a really good time i just wish they had been a little bit more choosy about some of the stuff they chose to execute i would agree with you on that but that's just my personal opinion as a player however they i don't think they're editing for players i think they're editing for the non-player trying to get them in 
And I really think that's a big thing. So the stuff that, you know, is important to you and me is not important to somebody who doesn't know the game. Yeah, they could invest the time into it and actually develop a show about it that was ongoing with an ongoing plot line and story. It could be awesome. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I would love to see this idea expounded upon. Uh, I did want to say uh, thank you very much for for being on the show yet again. Uh, really appreciate my the honor. conversation. I appreciate the education uh, uh, and your perspective on yeah. this show, puppetry in general. And quite honestly, just the opportunity to hang one more time. I just like <laughs> hanging with you, man. You guys uh, are fun. You know, and uh, I, I look forward to more in person kind of, or in person kind of hanging once mm-hmm. we're done with the current situation. But mm-hmm. thank you for being on the program and we really appreciate it. Thank you guys Absolutely. for having me. I had a lot of fun. I always have fun talking to you guys. I always have fun listening to you guys. And, uh, and uh, it was, it was really cool when you guys asked me to uh, come on the show again. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I am, I am sure that we'll find another excuse to go ahead and have you on in the near future. Dave. Thanks it again. won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape us that easily. <laughs> You're right, well, in our tentacled web. Oh boy. Mr. Dave, thank you so much uh, for joining us once again. Uh, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop-oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.